Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Media Network's Dr. Christopher Hall Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service. Again, we are getting through things, man. And it, we, we, we got through a portion of the pandemic. Then, as we talked yesterday, uh, we talked about, you know, the specific what, what is happening in our country today, Dr. Hall. And uh, we got some great information yesterday from the Baja men about how they felt being in the Bahamas. And our guest today will hopefully his first question kind of talk about, uh, you know, what's what his thoughts are with the protests and the violence that's happening in our country and all over the world, the protests uh, about uh, the, the, the situations that are happening. So I appreciate you calling, Dr. Hall. Oh, well, no problem at all. No problem at all. I'm very, very excited again to be um, with a, a great guest. Um, and today we have a very talented individual. We have an individual who is a major uh, stuntman in Hollywood, a dancer, an actor, a singer. Uh, this is a very rare individual that can do it all. Um, has uh, uh, his, his talents have been seen in Black Panther, uh, Avengers. I'm very happy to welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Khalil Lamar. Welcome to the show, Khalil. Thank you. How are you guys doing? I appreciate you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Hall, I'm going to let you ask the first question when I usually don't ask about the pandemic, but our questions have changed, and you're the perfect person to ask that first question, Dr. Hall. Uh, no problem, no problem. Well, you know, right now, uh, it's a very trying time, you know, uh, going across the U.S. And as you mentioned, you know, we talked to the Bahama, Baja man about this yesterday. And it's something that, that's really affecting uh, all the people in the U.S., but particularly black men across the U.S. And so with the death of George Floyd and, and what's going on now in this environment, uh, tell us what your thoughts are on this, Khalil, and, and what you've what you've seen and what do you think about all that's going on? I mean, it's just, like you said, it's a, it's a crazy time. Um, and it's been going on for a while and it's, it's way past due for a change. So, I mean, that it basically sums it up. It needs to, it, something needs to happen. Um, and justice needs to be served and it needs, it needs to be known that this isn't okay. You know, murder period isn't okay. So, I mean, to sum it all up, it's, it's time for change. Something needs to happen. These people are all exactly. upset. You know, they're expressing themselves the best way they can. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's time for change. And the problem is that the justice system works too slowly. You know, just by mm -hmm. getting now all the drawn out process of finally trying these men for murder, it's going to take so much time. And then the country has to come back again to wait for a verdict, which is really a challenge for people that just say they want that change, but they want justice, and that's why they protest. Exactly. And so that's very, very true. And then that feeling you have that you want it to go quicker, right? Okay, just because they were tried doesn't mean when will this trial happen? When will there be a jury of peers to go exactly. out? And how long will this process take? And are uh, we going to get be expedited? Yeah, ex exactly, because. The country will not heal. And then, see, you're bringing up something and I'm bringing up something that we're not hearing in the media. I think that the protesters will feel much better if they knew that this is going to trial soon and there'll be a verdict. Yeah, and that's 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 what we're fighting for. We need to know what's going on. What, because right now it seems like the process is taking so long. And with all the evidence that's out there, it shouldn't have taken that long. Like, it needs to be expedited. Okay. So that everything can... 
All right. So, and that's a great, and that's a great point, Dr. Hall, that we have to think about when we're talking about those things, but go ahead, Dr. Hall, with your uh, next question. Oh uh, yeah. And no problem. And just, and just to add that really quickly, you know, as being a black and myself and a medical doctor for the last 20 years, I mean, you know, I've experienced racism. And so, you know, I'm glad that we have this entertainment community. We have the, uh, uh, our, our majority of our people in this country, uh, believing and wanting to do the right thing. So anyway, Let's talk about our, our amazing gentleman we have today, so Cleo. I mean, very, you're very talented, and um, tell us a little bit about just kind of where you're from and um, how how did you get influenced to go into being a stuntman? Oh, uh, name is Khalil Lamar. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, currently residing in Orlando, Florida, and I basically got into it uh, through live shows. Actually, I, my first live production was in Tampa, Florida where I was able to, uh, you know, learn stunts and do them in a show. There was a show called Katanga. And uh, so there was, you know, African dance, singing, tumbling, stunts, you know, things of that nature I was introduced to as well. And that's what initially activated everything. Um, and moving forward, I went on a live stunt show tour where, you know, we I was the character of Spider-Man and a few other characters in the show. Basically, everything you saw them doing in the movies, we were doing it live. And from there... Uh, 2016 is when I landed my first stunt movie, which was Black Panther, and I ended up being two characters in there, Black Warrior and a um, Soldier, and that went into Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame is where I became one of Black Panther's stunt doubles, as well as two other characters in the film, and it was kind of a ripple effect of how I got into it. I had a martial art background of Taekwondo, started studying a little Muay Thai, um, with a little bit of a tumbling background as well and kind of combined all those and put it in the video in order for me to be accepted into the films that I'm in. And so that kind of, you know, helped me out um, throughout the process where I was networking and constantly getting referred to people because you, I would go in and you know, execute the job. So um, that's really how I got into it. I'm also a dancer as well. And that kind of helps with the coordinators as well because they know I'm conscious of my body and the movement and everything. So. You get work. See, see I, I have to think more about the stuntman thing. As a former professional wrestler, uh, I took a lot of hits and I did a lot of fall, mm -hmm. and I know how to fall. And mm -hmm. uh, guess what? If you fall wrong, you're in trouble. And I, I went yep. to, I've had injuries where I fell wrong, meaning somebody, they threw someone over the top rope. I'm supposed to catch them, and I fell into the fans and messed up my back. And I've had sciatic issues ever since from that. And I was 27 years old, and I'm 47 now. But I stopped in the ring at about 29. But meaning the point is that the constant. So learning to be a stuntman, how much of that is involved in like learning to fall, kind of like pro wrestling? how you have to learn to fall to be successful in that industry or to not get hurt. Well, I mean, I feel like um, there's always room for improvement. So there's never enough training that you can do. The training is, is always needed, no matter how good you are or how many times you've done it. Because like with me, um, with falling and, you know, wrecks or tumbling, whatnot, you know, there's never a point where I'm like, okay, I don't need to do this for years because I got it. Like, I'm always willing to learn. I'm always trying to figure out uh, more ways to maybe have a safer landing or new tricks or, you know, whatever. So there's always room for improvement. That's why I keep my, I'm always open for criticism and always trying to learn from people. But it's, it's very intense, man. Like, you, if you can train every day, train every day. You know, there's never, like I said, there's never enough training. And when we're on set, we're always learning from each other. That's another thing that I love 
about being on set because everybody's open to learning or teaching you something. And it's like a family. So we always look out for each other. So it's, it's never enough training. Interesting. Never enough training and the process of learning. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Wow. It, you know, it's very exciting. And so all those major stunts, you know, in Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, I mean, you did all those major stunts for, for that individual. And, and that was phenomenal. And, uh, well, you know, uh, Cleo, I'm a trained gymnast myself, you know, mm -hmm. actually, I, I competed nationally all over the country in college, nice. you know, in gymnastics. And so I saw you do some of those moves there, you know, the backhand spring and the backflip and that kind of stuff. Tell us about mm -hmm. that Spider-Man landing. How hard was that to, to master? Oh, it actually wasn't hard. I, I feel like, you see, when I got into that role on tour, um, they showed me a couple of times. And I it kind of ju I, I just fell into it, and once I got comfortable with it, it was it was like breathing almost, you know. I learned it in a few minutes, and just kept practicing it every day to make sure I'm landing correctly. My arms are in the right place, your hands are in the right place, your shoulders like just all your whole body is involved with that because you have to land the pose of the character and look like the character, you know. So I mean, it's, it's it wasn't that hard as long as you know how to do a back tuck, you're you're fine with your landing. So. It was pretty easy. <laughs> so, so it, learning the land. So, when I talked about how we learned to fall in pro wrestling, I wanted you to explain more about how. If I just said I want to be a stunt man next week, and I want to stunt for somebody big like Robert Maya, and Robert's mm -hmm. getting a lot more bigger uh, features now, and he's m close to my size. He's a little bigger than me, but I'm six foot ten, legitimately six foot eleven. We wrestled together, mm -hmm. by by the way, Independence and uh, and also in Germany together, but. Um, learning that, that certain things that they don't want to take those so you need a stunt man how mm -hmm. much of that process is it to learn certain stunts is it more about the ability to take a risk or is it more about specifically just the strategies of doing it yeah it's always the strategy because no one no coordinator ever wants you to get hurt on set um my thing is like if i'm asked to do a stunt that i've never done before and I don't feel comfortable, I'll let them know right up front. That way you don't look bad, you don't make them look bad, and you keep working. Um, but I know like a few people have come to me and said, hey, you know, I want to be a stuntman, or how do I start this and the other? I start out with the the uh, forward rolls and shoulder rolls and, you know, just the basics first, and then I build up. And um, that's basically it. I mean, you, you start out with the basics, you execute that, get that to a certain point, and then you move forward. That way... Um, you don't hurt yourself and you last longer. And a lot of people say, oh, but you're falling hard. It's, it's, you know, you're going to break this, you're going to break that. But at some point you get, like, I have friends who can jump so high yet fall, you would not hear them hit the ground, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's always training. There's always uh, room for improvement. And as long as you practice those, then you'll be fine. The forward rolls, I, lo I love it because that's what we have to do in pro wrestling. That's the first move we learn is ba basically mm -hmm. to take a hip toss bump yeah. where you do a quick front bump where basically yeah. the, the front bump and then the back bump. Those are the first mm -hmm. two bumps we take and then we take other types of bumps after that. But till we know how right. to tuck our neck right tuck so that, head, yeah. that to, mm -hmm. and, and tuck our neck when we're flipping, but when we're taking a bump on concrete or on a... Uh, a boxing ring kind of deal where it's really right. tough. You tuck your neck and you, and you just throw your arms back and you're not landing yeah. awkwardly. But if you don't learn those two, 
it's you're going to be out of it quickly. So, Dr. Hall, yeah. I never thought I, this is my first stuntman I've interviewed ever. So this is very interesting, but he's much more than the stuntman. So go ahead and ask the next question. But again, it's a, it's a if there's no stuntman, there's no action because many exactly. actors are not going to take the chance of doing injuring themselves so they can't do their next movie or end up dying. Right. All right, Dr. Hall, right. Next, next question. Yeah, you know, you're totally right about that. There's no problem, you know. Khalil, is, I've taught him, like, a quadruple threat is kind of what it is. You know, singing, dancing, uh, being a stuntman. And then, you know, he's an actor. He's had some roles in acting. Mm -hmm. You know, Khalil, when you're working around a lot of big-time, big-name actors there in the industry, um, tell us what that's like. You know, you're there. Uh, sometimes you're there just to a stuntman. But you've done acting. What's it like to be working around these um, pretty much... Uh, uh, well-known actors. I mean, anything it's, you're learning from them. It's, it's an amazing experience. My very first time, well, as far as the stunt film, when I first got on set of Black Panther, I was in like a wow moment. Like I'm actually here. Uh, even when I was offered the job, I, I was excited, but I didn't believe it until my first day of set. So while I'm there and all the actors and, you know, just all the talent, the stunt men, the stunt women, everybody's around. And it's like, wow, this is really happening so working with the actors it's, it's been a, an amazing experience because they come on set and you're like okay the actors are here they're probably going to be extremely serious about the scene but they love to have a great time and uh when i met chadwick bozeman you know he, he welcomed me with open arms and you know cracking jokes and just kicking it back with us as if we already knew each other talking with everyone he always speaks to us when he's when he first entered on set shaking hands everything like it was just an amazing experience and uh, to have doubled him uh, in Avengers Endgame and the upcoming movie that I have coming out in a few days, it was like, you know, it felt like a reunion, and I was even more comfortable than I was from the first time that I met him. But even working with all the other actors, Chris Hemsworth and, you know, all those guys, like, it was just so good to see them having a great time and enjoying what they do as well as us enjoying what we do and them appreciating us for risking our lives. Yeah. And that's so true. That's such a, uh, a point at time. So kind of going into stuntmen, was it first dancing or stuntmen or or both? And then going into acting, because did you start being a stuntman and then said, no, I'm going to venture into more acting roles? It was actually, it, it was actually, I started out acting first. I was doing, you know, small stage plays in the city and that ended up uh, getting into bigger plays. And I got into dancing. I've been singing since middle school as well. And I got into stunts when I moved to Tampa, Florida. And that's when I got my, you know, the live stunt, the live stunt show. And so that's kind of how it all worked out. And when I auditioned for the tour, that's when I got even more serious with the stunts and whatnot, because I started learning new things and understanding it a lot more and understanding what I wanted to do. And with me doing my stunts, I started getting the, you know, the one-liner roles and like Luke Cage I had, an acting role, The Punisher season two, Nickelodeon's I'm Frankie, you know, things like that. So that's how that came about. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of like a ripple effect of where I got to use all my talents in one and I love it all. <laughs> all right, Dr. Hall, next question. Wow. That, that, that's incredible. You know, and so, you know, there are lots of young people out there listening to this show, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. right now. And so, you know, who probably are coming from similar backgrounds like yourself, 
Khalil. So tell me a little bit about that. Or rather, is there anything, any points that you can give these young people who, who would strive to be a, a quadruple threat like yourself? Anything, how would they work towards this? I would say let no one tell you that you can't do all of what you want. A lot of people say, oh, you're doing so many things, but you have to focus on one. Well, if all those things are in the same bubble, you're focusing on that bubble, which includes everything that you want to do. So I'll say do it. You know, I've been, I love everything that I do. I place neither one of those above each other. You know, if, if I feel like one is lacking, I will bring that up to the level of the rest of the things that I do. And the major thing is, as long as you believe in you, everyone else will, because if you don't believe in yourself, why should anyone invest in you? You know, so it always starts out with you believing in you, continue to do what you want, continue to strive, never have your heart on your sleeve, and just keep grinding until you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm making it, I'm understanding it, and that's really it, believing in yourself and doing what you want to do. Um, a lot of people say, oh, but you got to have a plan B. Well, that means that you're not focusing on plan A. If you're already thinking about plan B, which means you don't believe in yourself. A lot of people pray and worry, you know, yes. I, understand, I don't understand the point of praying if you're going to worry about it. Because that means you don't believe in prayer, you don't believe in yourself, and you don't have a faith. You know, so just keep running. See, I, I totally agree with you. And when I think about this, uh, that's what people say to me. Why do you focus on 90 different things, Neil, or Mentium? Why don't you just, just focus on one? Well, what if I focused on that one thing, okay, Khalil? Mm -hmm. And guess what happens? That industry goes down with the pandemic. Or that, mm -hmm. or that business just dies. By being mm -hmm. a multi-threat person, you can a multi-talented person you can go into so many different opportunities and you never know when those are going to open up so people talk about niching niching could come back to haunt you at times mm -hmm. right do you agree yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's why i keep pushing hello incredible okay yeah okay right, yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. I got you okay all right dr hall next mm -hmm. question wow it's just it's just incredible you know and and you know, Khalil, the fact is this. I mean, you're kind of very rare in Hollywood, okay, finding an individual uh, who can do this many things. Uh, and so that's unique in itself. How important is it to be able to communicate effectively with the cast and just to get along with people actually when you show up on the set? How important is that? It's very important because, I mean, like I said, everyone, they welcome you with open arms. And with me, I, like, I used to be extremely shy, so, like, Difference if I, I got hired on the job, I would go in, I would sit there, I'm quiet, and then when it's time for me to do my job, I'll go in, do my job, and then that's it. Well, not only did I not uh, introduce myself or, you know, and get to know people, I, I didn't network, I didn't come in and leave an impression, which means no one's going to remember me because I was so quiet. Closed mouths don't get fed. So it's very important to go in, know who you're around, know who you're working with, network. And that way you stay on the minds of those who could hire you for the next job. So, I mean, it's very important. And I've learned that on set a lot. And it's great because everybody, they say, say, for instance, you don't know something, you're able to go up to someone and ask them and get the knowledge that, you know, know. especially if you're serious about your profession, your career, you know, it's, it's very important to always be, uh, always use your voice when you're on set. How did you Incredible. learn that? Did you have any, uh, fallbacks that you learned that you have to do that when you're on set? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was fallbacks. It's just the fact that I see, I see people 
on set and I watch them and I'm like, wow, you know, that person draws attention or she draws attention and that's something that I can remember that person by and like I would meet them on another set. I'm like, yo, I remember you did this or you did, you said that or, you know, it's, it's like an energy that you feel and I feel like had I opened my mouth a little sooner that I probably would have booked more jobs than, you know, I have throughout my career and that's the major thing, you know, like I, I, I go on set, introduce myself and a lot of people remember you just from coming up talking to them because a lot of people feel like um, they won't you won't really be remembered if you don't leave an impression. That's great advice and so true. All right. Dr. Hall, next question. Yeah, it's so very true. Wow, that's a great point. Wow, well, very interesting. Now, tell us about what's your role on this The Five Bloods uh, coming out here real soon. Tell us about that. So the movie, The Five Bloods, we filmed it out in Thailand. Uh, it's a Spike Lee film, and the premiere is June 12th on Netflix. I had the pleasure of doubling Chadwick Boseman on that set. And the film, basically, it takes you on a nice journey. And I would say it's an emotional roller coaster. It's about these four veterans that go back to Vietnam, and they take on some forces battling um, because they're on a mission to find the remains of their fallen soldier, which is Chadwick Boseman. He's their squad leader who was killed in the, you know, the process of them battling and they're also going to uh, search for the treasure that he helped them hide before you know he was killed but um i say it's going to take you on an emotional roller coaster because i know there's a lot of people that have family members or loved ones that are in the service that they've lost or just been gone for a long time and this film touches on everything it's, it's a lot of key points in it there are good times there are bad times um and yeah i just can't wait for you guys to see it man but it was a great experience uh, me having a double chat with Bozeman in that hot 110 heat every single day. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had a great time, man. And uh, we filmed in Chiang Mai, Chiang Dao, Vietnam, uh, went over to Bangkok. Like, it was just great, a great experience being out there and working with Spike Lee, of course. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. What was the experience working with Spike Lee? What did you learn? It was awesome. That, that, what I learned with him, he knows what he wants, and he wants to get it done as soon as possible. He's not into taking uh, 10 to 15 takes on one particular scene. He knows that he wants, execute it, and move on. If not, you're going to see a different side. But other than that, he cracks jokes. He has a good time on set. He loves what he do. He's, you know, he always uh, say thank you and, you know, just uh, give props when that do when you execute a job that he wants done on set as far as the stunt, man. But yeah, it was awesome working with him and I'm hoping this isn't the last time I'll work with him, but he's a great guy knows what he wants he definitely knows what he wants and uh it was interesting when i've heard about people that have worked with someone like spike lee how much they're able to pick up and understand and learn from him mm -hmm. in that yeah. growth phase and uh did you get a chance ever so or do you communicate with spike after the film was over in certain ways or uh, not, not not necessarily like uh over the phone or a text or anything like that i mean on social media of course you know I, Come in or, you know, uh, respond on his uh, social media. He has responded to one of my comments before, but uh, I hadn't got to that level yet. You know? Yeah, but that'll happen. But it's a working that's process. Gonna yeah. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. All right. Dr. Yeah, Hall, I'm claiming uh, it. All right, next question. Wow. Yeah, that, 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 that's incredible. So, so it looks like, um, again, I know you said equally, you love all the different things you do there, uh, Cleo. Mm -hmm. um, but, um I mean, you seem like just, just kind of, and I've seen like I've seen your videos, 
Um, and, um, I mean, you obviously work out and keep that physique looking good. Um, I mean, are you thinking about moving more into acting or what do you think? I would love to, um, I'm actually in the search of an acting agent right now. Um, but yes, I love acting. I have multiple characters to show the world and I just, I know it's coming my way, man. Like I've been getting all these one-liners and those things aren't happening for no reason. So I, I know it's coming. I just have to be seen by the right people and, you know, just keep pushing and believing like I've always been. But yeah, I, I would love to get one of those recurring roles, you know, lead roles or something like that. And that's, and, so, and it'll happen. You keep grinding yeah. and it's going to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and so it's just something in so many ways that, 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 that never give up attitude. But again, can you, who would you say in your, line of work stuntmen are the ones that you if you wanted to be as successful and stuntmen was going to end up being what you do are, are there certain ones that are really making uh are really known in the industry that everyone goes to in that industry as far as, stunt, as, yeah. as, far as stunts yeah oh yeah it's plenty of guys aaron tony uh we, uh, yeah we got aaron tony we have a niece uh, we have Danny Graham. Like, it's so many big names. Like, I can go on and on forever, man. But those are the three, just to name a few off the top of the head. I got to, I got a chance to work with all of them actually. And it's, it's funny because all three of them were, um, uh, Black Panther stunt doubles as well, you know? So they are very, very well known in the industry. Like, they turn down jobs on the daily. <laughs> That's how well they're known out there. And, um, yeah, I, I look up to them. Those are, like, you know, my mentors, basically. I'm always trying to learn from them when I can or watch their videos, things like that. But, yeah, they're very successful in the industry. All right. Dr. Hall, summarize. Khalil. Oh, well, no problem. My pleasure. So there you have it. Um, a, a quadruple threat um, has given us a wonderful message for our young people today. Believe in yourself, okay? Hard work. Don't let other people tell you what you can't do. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, this is an individual who's really um, rocketing, you know, to the top of his field. He's an example for, for other people. And so I'm very, very excited that uh, Khalil Lamar came on the show today. Yes, thank you guys for having me, man. This is great. And I'm going to be rooting for you and check out that uh, film for sure. And I appreciate you coming on the show for sure. Yeah, thank you guys so much, man. This is great. I really appreciate you guys. All right, take care, guys. All right, see ya. Thanks. Take care. All right, guys, that was the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. We're back to the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome to the program again, the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Caregiver Dave, Dave, how are you? And Dave, we just, hey. have, we just have some really interesting convos every day. It just seems like <laughs> it seems like Groundhog Day, but guess what? We are, we're going to get through this, man. 2020 is going to end and we'll get to 2021. I can't believe I'm saying that, but we're halfway through 2020 and we've had a journey, haven't we, Dave? Absolutely. It is like Groundhog Day. You know, everything was supposed to open up and then this happens. Wow. And we're not, that's, that's something for us to just... And, and hopefully, after this, there'll probably be something else. No, so, there'll you know. be something else all the way to November and we'll have to deal with it. But we have an that's amazing, right. amazing guest that... I'm sure I would love to know all the media people she's covered in her career. And the podcasting is going to be just simple for her compared to all the yeah. other experiences she's had. But go ahead and introduce our guest. Nikki Boyer, beautiful actress and host of Wondry's Dying for Sex, is a vibrant, comedic, 
personality, three-time Emmy Award winner, TV personality, as host of Yahoo's Daytime and No Time, <laughs> Boyer became the most watched woman on the web, garnering over 700 million clicks. Wow. She <laughs> recently guest starred in TBS's Angie Tribeca. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm, and the yeah. Netflix revival of the Gilmore Girls, my favorite show. Aw. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> you guys. Yeah. So, Nikki, how so are you, you surviving L.A. as a social person like you are when the whole pandemic and dealing with just the quarantine? Well, I was I was pretty I was a pretty hardcore like quarantiner. I have to say I went I I, I felt it. I knew we were going to need to do it. Um, and luckily, doing the podcast world, you know, I'm, I'm new into the podcast world. But it's what the beauty of it is that I have a little studio in my house, so I work a lot. I I get to do these beautiful stories for our show called The Daily Smile. Um, I get to engage with people over the phone. So I've been one of the lucky ones that continues to work and gets to tell beautiful stories but I have to say it's been really challenging because I'm a person that likes to touch and hug and look in people's eyes so it's been challenging yeah yeah Yeah. exactly but so I miss everyone and I miss my family back in St. Louis but having said that I you know I want to be part of the solution obviously and not part of the problem so I'm just being careful now did the pandemic actually cause you to go into the podcasting you were doing it before well, um, when I did the show Dying for Sex um, with Wondry, that was pre-pandemic, and so that released in February. And then they, you know, there were rumblings about the show called The Daily Smile, actually pre-pandemic. So then when the pandemic hit, Wondery was like, oh my gosh, a good news story every day called The Daily Smile. I can't think of a better time. Let's go ahead and get this going. So um, we, you know, we debuted on on the 18th. Um, So I've been doing that as well. Um, So yeah, it it kind of, it wasn't really as a result of the pandemic, but it's very serendipitous because it was perfect timing. Like everybody needs a little good news story each day. Yeah. So tell me, Nikki, let me ask you the first question. Um, Mm -hmm. Just who is Nikki Boyer, and, and why did God put you on this earth? And besides, you know, where did you where did you grow up, and what are your interests? Oh, thanks for asking. That's so nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know why God put me here. <laughs> um, that's well, a great question. One day question. you'll find out, I guess. I guess I will. I'll let you know. I'll send you a sign from the <laughs> other side. Um, I you know I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was very fortunate at a very young age to get a job in television right like I was a singer and an actress and a dancer yeah back in St. Louis I was the host of the basically the kids cartoon hour so when the kids come home from school I was hosting live segments in between the cartoons so my first job really was performing and learning how to do live television so I got very fortunate at like 14 15 16 I was working so television and being a host and entertaining has just kind of always been a part of my life so when I graduated from college I moved to LA and decided well let's see if I really got what it takes and here I am like 25 years later I'm still doing it so I think I, I kind of figured how out how to make a living a teenager, how does a teenager get a gig like that though well, it's funny you ask. I went to an audition because there was an open call in St. Louis. They said, looking for bright, mm. vibrant, role model teens to be a part of this, you know, group. And so I went and auditioned for the dance group, thinking we would just do performances at, like, local schools, at, like, Six Flags, you know, things like that. And then eventually it sort of morphed into they plucked a few of us out of the, the dance group and said, we want you to sort of do some live 
cartoon hosting, do stuff for the kids, be a part of our kids club. And I thought, well, sure. Okay. I had no idea it would pave the way for the rest of my career. So I'm so grateful for the people that gave me that opportunity because it really shaped my life. So, so yeah. And then here I am now still hosting, telling stories, entertaining. I don't dance anymore. I'm too tired for that, (laughs) But, but but I do, but I do, um, I, I do consider myself a very fortunate person to be able to do what I love. And I've been doing it since I was, you know, 15. So basically that's like, I've only been doing this for like 10 years. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, so here's a question for you based on that, based on that answer. Uh, who did you model as a journalist in certain ways that, and an actress that kind of really liked to kind of watch when you were growing up into this industry to say, I want to become someone like that or have that's those... a really i love these questions you guys ask really good questions <gasps> well, i love this show professionals yeah, yeah you are. <laughs> right you know i have i remember being in st louis and i remember seeing oprah as a kid and what i loved about her first of all i loved seeing a woman of color hosting her own daytime talk show and i loved that you never knew what was going to happen and i loved her journalistic integrity and i loved that she brought fun i, I just loved watching her and i remember thinking well how do i do that and i'm not really understanding what she was doing but i remember watching it and being enamored by her and then i really loved katie couric and then i also back in st louis you guys know who jack buck is i don't know if you remember yes, jack buck yes okay well christine buck is his daughter and she worked in the newsroom when I was working in the newsroom as well and I just remember admiring her and watching her sort of navigate being a woman in the newsroom and telling hard-hitting news stories also being um, big-hearted and kind and lovely so she was I don't even know if I've ever told her that but she was really a mentor of mine I really looked up to her yeah I mean and that's the thing when you look at those things I try to do now uh, radio came second nature to me now I'm trying to get on camera more and yeah. I really need to improve. I'm a very big critique of myself because I do social media branding. I'm a former professional wrestler. So I look at people and look at specific things and watch the news and watch how they interact and just really understand that as a journalist, we really just ask good questions. That's what we're here mm-hmm. to do, even on television. It's not about putting making an attention to ourselves at all professionally when people are talking you're not nodding like you're having a conversation well i had to do a lot more studying of that during this pandemic Mm. to say oh my gosh i hate myself on camera i have (laughs) and i'm like this is and that's how much of a critique i am i can't even listen to my interviews sometimes i get so are we always ourselves we're always our worst critics right but i love your voice and your questions are amazing i need now i need to see you on tv well, again, tune in tonight, Facebook Live, 5 p.m. as I moderate doing a debate uh, on uh, VIP Internet Radio's Facebook page. But you'll see me share it on Neil S. Haley as well. And you'll That's check great. it out. Uh, the major person not showing up is Laura Loomer, who is a uh, media darling in herself. And she's running for uh, Palm Beach County for U.S. Congress. And she is not showing up. Every candidate that for the Republican uh, U.S. Uh, 19, I think it is, is showing up except her. And she's the she's the front runner for the nomination to go against whoever is currently in Congress. But uh, okay. you can see me and watch me do that and ask right questions. And I appreciate that. Now, uh, Dave, go to the next question. But she's awesome to work with. See, I the best interviews I've always had are journalists themselves because they know <laughs> when to wait. They know when to take their time and they know when to pass it on. 
Uh, I can mention it from interviewing Nancy Grace to different people. It's just like it's a walk in the park versus an actress or an actor who just is not used to it. Either they're used to the quick soundbite or they're used to talking for hours. Right. And it really right. doesn't bring that conversation. And I hate podcasting one time when someone talks for 30 minutes, but that's how podcasting is becoming. So a lot of right. our journalist training is, is thrown out the window. But again, it's just it's it's all about your style. All right, Dave, next question. All right, well, it sounds like he's learned from you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. Come on now. Give me a call. No, 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 okay, well, Nikki, you've had, you've had a lot of breaks, obviously. What would you consider as your biggest break that just opened the door and then the floodgates? Hmm. Well, I have to say, when things, when, when my... When my career felt like there was a game changer happening, like I was lucky enough to host a show on Yahoo, right? It was called Daytime and No Time. It was a really fun show. It was a three to four minute show every day that highlighted all the fun clips from daytime TV. And I did that for like five years, I think. And that's what made me one of the most watched women on the web. I think we got, like you said in my bio, like 700 million clicks. It was just such a game changer for my life. So I loved that job. Um, it gave me an opportunity to be on camera, to be comedic, to be funny every single day, and I loved it. But I really feel like when my career took a big shift, it was just recently with the release of the Dying for Sex podcast. So if anybody hasn't listened, uh, it's, it's a podcast about my best friend, Molly, who was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And when she got the terminal diagnosis news after battling it for four or five years, she decided to do something really bold, and she decided to leave her marriage and go on a sexual journey and find sort of the antithesis to uh, death for her was being sexual. So I found it to be so interesting as her best friend, but also as a human being, I thought this is a really interesting response to having someone tell you that you're dying, that you leave the thing that feels the safest really, and you go explore yourself. And and if you listen to the series, it's a six episode series that really digs into you know, overcoming adversity, friendship, sex, love, and really what it's, what you do with the time that you have left when you realize that you don't have a lot of time. And Molly's journey was so profound that that was a turning point in my career because instead of it being about me, 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 right? Like, oh, how do I move my career forward? In that moment, I realized that this story was so important to tell. And I took, even though I'm in the front seat of narrating the podcast, I felt like I took the back seat and I just allowed her story to be the beautiful, the, the beautiful element that it was really about honoring her. And that felt really nice to do it from a place of like, wow. of, of just love for someone, but also knowing that the story was so profound that it was going to affect people. Well, when I hear that, wow. not, I think of how miserable she must have been with the person she was with and said, you know what? Life is too short to be miserable. I'm going to enjoy life. And that's what it meant for her. I mean, am I, am I right? Well, for her, I think her marriage was felt more of a friendship, right? And when you, when you, when you go through cancer with someone and you become sort of a caretaker of them, this, this, yeah. I think the dynamic of your intimacy shifts and changes because you become, the, and so I think they had some, some things they needed to work through. And I think that she just wasn't feeling seen and desired as a woman, because when you have breast cancer, it takes away everything that makes you feel feminine. And I think she really wanted to navigate that part of her life and she wanted to do it before she died. And it's really not just about sex. I can't tell you enough. Like if you listen to it, it is, I, I mean, it's some of the most profound, um, 
words that I've ever heard when it comes to digging and deep and doing work on yourself and also deciding what do you want to do with your life? Like what's important to you? What do you need to heal before you leave this earth? And Molly, my friend was very clear about that. And I think she's inspired a lot of people to look at death um, differently. You know, so thinking about this in so many ways, uh, the, the process, you never thought a podcast. Now, you're being very humble with some of the other success you've had in your career, uh, but mm -hmm. why a podcast? And interesting question also to add to is Wondery. Uh, explaining that podcast network uh, compared to other platforms, what's the difference in Wondery? But first, let's kind of delve a little bit deeper into specifically the podcasting world and how you understand. It was a great theme, but how you it kicked off and did you think it would have the success that it did? Um, the answer to the success part is I had no idea, right? Because when someone, when Molly and I first came up with this idea, uh, we thought, oh, a TV show, right? But, you know, when they say an overnight success in this business, it means like overnight means 10 to 15 years. Right. I mean, there's never anything that comes quickly. I mean, Molly and I worked on this idea for three and a half years before it even became the raw audio of the podcast not even being produced so this stuff takes time telling stories digging in takes a lot of time so to answer your question we have this idea you guys we pitched it to many production companies we pitched it to networks we pitched it to people and everyone said wow this idea is profound and amazing but getting someone to write you a big giant check to write a tv script is really difficult right like nobody puts their money where their mouth is the beauty with wondry was that when i brought them the raw audio files of what molly and i had recorded thanks to a friend of mine who owned a production company we were in we were working with them and they encouraged us to record the podcast but full disclosure you know, I, 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 I'm an audio person. I could have recorded a podcast in my house and right. Molly and I thought, should we record this? Should we do it? But like, I kept rolling my eyes, like another podcast. Like, are you kidding me? I don't want to do the podcast world. I was very not invested in the podcast world. Then I got to meet Wondery. And when I started listening to what they were doing, they have Dirty John, they have Dr. Death, they have, you know, Tiger King. And I started listening to the types of stories that Wondery was putting out. Very deep, very interesting storytelling with beautiful sound design, really beautiful story arcs. I was like, mm, hey, they have something special. So they really helped me shape these 10 the, originally it was 10 raw episodes of me and Molly and then they truncated it down to six episodes and created this beautiful series that honored all aspects of her life and I could have not told the story that I told without Wondery so they really do they're they're storytellers at heart and they have such a knack for tapping into the, the humanity of every story and I love them that's that's a great thing and that's the big thing you need to have a team if you're gonna have success yeah. in any of these uh, projects do you think these YouTubers that are really successful don't have a great production team and promotion team? You got something wrong with the ones that are making right. all that money. They first mm -hmm. maybe got the first hundred thousand fans. Then they invested that money back into promotion. So people thinking right. that they just could show up on video or show up in the podcast and not spend money or have a marketing team do it. You're not going to have success. And that's one thing, I mean, in the amount of money that I've invested in 10 years in all my podcasting radio shows and all these different things, it was worth its weight in gold to get to where yeah. I am today. Now, to get to the next level, if, if that level is coming, 
you got to spend money to make money. And I think that, but I'm bringing up a more wonders that they see something special like your show and they say they're going to invest because they know the, 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 the investment will pay off big time for their company, for their podcasting network. For sure. Yeah, you know what's interesting? There's a good lesson here that I'd love to share with you guys and, and, and listeners because when I first sent the email to Wondery uh, with my idea for Molly's show and some of the raw recordings, I sent the email and I just said, here's the story. I think it would be a good fit. Please let, let me know. Um, well, Molly uh, had passed away and I was sitting on these recordings and I didn't quite know what to do. Right. I didn't know how to handle this. And Wondery had not responded to my email. And I thought, well, I guess that opportunity passed. And then I thought, what if they didn't get that email? Like, What if it slipped through or what if just for a moment there was a glitch? And I thought, I'm going to resend it. And turns out they had not received it. And then as soon as they did, they called me and took a meeting. So I say better to send the second email, better, better to get that hard, firm no, right, than to let it sort of – to wonder if it ever landed in the right person's arms. So I say, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or whatever they say. I just be, It's better to be the squeaky wheel than to not, to, to not have tried. So it was a really good lesson for me, and I'm so glad I sent that email because it made such a difference. Yeah, and that's so true. Get their response, see the story, and understand the story and see from there. Now, so you had success with that podcast. Now a new one. So the one you're promoting Yay. now is something different. Yeah. So tell us about the new one. So the news show is called The Daily Smile, and it's Monday through Friday, and it's between a 10 and 15-minute story. And it's it's good news. It's something inspirational. It's something that will make you laugh. It's something that will make you think about things differently. And I think Wondery was really interested in injecting a little sunshine into people's lives, not only because of COVID and because of just the state of everything, but just because the way you start your day, it, it really influences the way you walk through the rest of your day. So if every morning or afternoon you decide to pop on the daily smile and you hear a story that connects you to humanity or a story that inspires you to be a better person, hopefully that ripple effect will like, like think about it. If you're on your way to work and you're like, I'm going to pop on the daily smile and you hear a story about, you know, this a beautiful gesture of love. And then you walk into work and then you tell the person that, you know, that you see first, Hey, I just heard the story and it was about this. And then that person tells the person at lunch. And then before you know it, this one little story has been shared with all of these people. And if it brings a smile to your face or a little warmth in your heart or makes you laugh, then I feel like, that's a beautiful little gesture and we need more of that in the world. So that's what the daily smile is all about. Sounds great. And see, and that's something make people smile, especially during this time. And we yeah. talked about the pandemic right now. and now the <laughs> other thing, Dave's smiling and uh, he's thinking and then, uh, you know, and you just, so, you're so engaging and you see this. Is, the, is it a video podcast or just audio? It's only audio, but the beauty about this podcast is that, you know, we, we, it's a 10 or 15 minute story. So it goes by so quickly, but what's amazing about it is Wondery is so good at setting the scene and creating a vibe and the sound design and the production and the, and the quality of the stories are just, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm sitting in my tiny little closet with, you know, the doors closed and my boyfriend, my boyfriend's shoes and my stuff behind me and sweaters. And I'm just trapped in this tiny little closet with a lamp. But what I'm doing in rec what I'm recording and the stories that I'm sharing with people um, 
are so moving and so beautiful that I feel like I could sit in that little closet for hours a day, just as long as I get to interview these people and tell these people stories. So it's pretty magical. I'm not going to lie. It's one of my my favorite jobs I've ever had because every time I'm finished doing an episode, I feel like I've I've experienced something really cool. And that's a nice you, feeling when you're You working. really do that in your closet? That's your studio? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No, I'm serious. I've, I've done that before. It's awesome. No, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> no, no, and see, and I, I, the closet. I, and I had to move. The pandemic moved Great me to my own office at my mom's house. I had to leave my house because of my kids. And it got too crazy. And... I'm so glad it was one of the best decisions because when you are not interrupted, weren't doing a show, it's much better. I was able always to get away <laughs> with it, but I was really skilled at it. But now I can right. feel like, uh, but I love when people produce for me. I'm doing all this producing, checking out this, checking out the sound quality, all the thing through. But I love when I have a producer because that's the hardest thing as a podcaster. When you don't have totally. a producer and you're not able to do different things and then you know the editing i think so so define where you see things podcasting versus radio i am a radio Mm. guy i think radio shows bring a credibility unless you're one of the top ranked podcasts what's your opinion well that's funny because i got my first job in the business way before tv i was an intern at q106.5 fm radio station in st louis missouri it was i used to string the tape to tape where you literally cut the tape and then like link it together for the commercials i would do that like old school editing i used to do that i love radio i actually think that that podcasting I don't think of them as separate. I mean, I know that the radio, you know, it streams in a different way, but I think that the birthplace of podcasting really was radio, telling stories, engaging people. And some of these podcasts are hours long. And I feel like it's, it's, so I feel like they, they kind of, they help each other out. It doesn't feel so separate to me, but um, it's like giving props to the people that paved the way. I do feel that radio broadcasters and radio shows really did set the tone for what podcasters can't and, and can get away with. So I give props to radio. I love radio. <laughs> See, I like saying I have a radio show, but ultimately now I have to get more and more on the the push of podcasting because now I write for Podcast Magazine and uh, Podcast Magazine's fantastic. I'm a sports category director. Never thought I'd be a writer. Now, again, every time I'm wearing a new hat or a new right, opportunity and it's so tough having to write a story. Uh, you're like radio show. You can just produce it and be done with it and it's easy. Probably people that aren't are great writers probably think producing a radio show is a lot of work when it's a lot easier than writing an article. Trust me on that one. Right, writers, right. Writers, every, every radio show becomes a podcast, you know, after it's heard. Live. Right. True. And uh, you get so many more people listening to radio and or podcasts in the car because they're going to and from work, rush hour traffic. You have a captive audience. They're not going anywhere as opposed right. to television. You know, uh, most shows that I do are one hour podcasts or radio shows as opposed to that three or four minute television segment which many people put more of a value on, but hey, it's gone, boom, that's it. And it goes so fast. Exactly. All right, so Dave's last question is a caregiving question. So Dave, and I think it really, the theme of her podcast, the first podcast has a lot to do with caregiving. So go ahead and ask that question. Yeah, Yeah, it did. Go ahead, Dave. Well, oh, shucks. You know, I'm just (laughs) a a normal (laughs) caregiver Dave, uh, what was it, mobile Dave. (laughs) 
they used to call me because I had a mobile gas station for 40 years, still do. And one day my wife complained to me about this headache she had, just when we were in the emptiness phase of life, you know, when we were supposed to have money and be traveling more, which, which we did and we tried to. But then that headache turned into a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And for the next two and a half years, our life turned upside down. You know, Charlene wow. became angry and bitter at me because I was the only one around to receive that. And we actually almost broke up, but we mm -hmm. hung in there and she started becoming her old self again. And, and uh, our love was rekindled. And then I realized there's so many other caregivers out there who are suffering and in pain. And I didn't want them to give up like I almost gave up. So I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. And now I host a popular syndicated radio show. I've been in uh, 35 TV shows in the morning all over the country from Hawaii to Washington, D.C., spoken at Harvard, NASDAQ, Carnegie Hall with Martha Stewart and uh, Suzanne Summers and Ice-T and Caitlyn Jenner, just sharing my message wow. about how to, how to uh, prevent your loved one's illness and disease from actually killing you. So I started my right. caregiver website, caregiverdave.com. It's a membership site. It's an online support group. Anyone who goes there gets three free gifts right off the bat to help them get on the track for caregiving. So my question to you, Nikki, is uh, I know you've already been touched by caregiving. Um, what other uh, caregiving family members, perhaps, or, uh, you know, I like to say if you're not a caregiver, just wait. <laughs> you're either going to become one right. or you're going to need right. one. There's no escaping. It's inevitable. Now is the time to learn how to be a caregiver, not after tragedy strikes. So tell Absolutely. me about your experience. Oh my God, I love that question, and I love that you and your wife survived and made it through together, and the patience and the Amen. love and the challenges. Like, I'm so sorry you went through that, but I do feel like those experience, those experiences shape, shape us absolutely. It deepens things like in a way you can't ever imagine. Um, so Amen. that's amazing. I love that story. Thanks for telling me that. Um, for me, in terms of caregiving, you know, I've. Um, it's interesting because I, I have two stepdaughters um, and uh, and so from a from very early on in my relationship with my now fiance, um, we trying to navigate caring for children. Right. And then yeah. my father was sick for a while. My brother was ill for a while. Um, I was generation. <laughs> yeah. Right. I exactly. And so. There's just a, a feeling like I've always been a caregiver, um, and but when my situation with Molly came up, um, I was her person. I was the person that went to doctor's appointments with her. I was the person that went through her um, blood work, and you know, she at the time she was married for some of that. So I don't want to take any of that away from her ex-husband. He definitely was a, a part of that world and very supportive of her. But I was the friend that she came to. I was her quote-unquote person, and I think as a caregiver, like I'm a firm believer that you are allowed to fill up your gas tank when needed because there is no use in being completely tapped out and emptied because then you're not going to be useful to the person that you're caring for. Right. So I feel like caregivers really need to look inward and say, what, what can I do to take care of myself so that I have the ability to, to even show up in the first place? Um, so I, I, I think caregivers are probably some of the, the toughest most beautiful people ever because it becomes it becomes just part of their day-to-day -day and it becomes like a selfless they just become that's who they become but i i really encourage people to say yeah, don't get lost what 
they can't help themselves. <laughs> right. It just becomes habitual. And I say, don't lose yourself within the caregiving. Tune into yourself within the caregiving and still grow and learn as a person and, and still be who you need to be and honor yourself within that. And that was important for me with Molly because there were some days where I just couldn't make it to the hospital because I was struggling with my own issues. And so I'd be honest with her. And I think people are so afraid to be honest with the people they're caring for. And I would say, Molly, I love you, but I can't come today. And I know you're struggling and I know what you're dealing with is is tenfold compared to what I'm dealing with, but I have to practice some self-care today. And okay. she really appreciated that. So I learned that in my process with her. And it made okay. her feel Very more smart. human. Yeah, it made her feel like she of them actually die before their loved ones do because they don't do that. They don't put their oxygen mask on first. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. That's a crazy statistic. Dave, I think that you guys need to get together. Yeah, You're we both need, to get, right? need to be on my radio show. Yeah. I would love that. So, That'd be awesome. I will reach out we'll to get... your uh, her, to her publicist, Thank but you. ultimately, Dave, you my need to. My girl will call your girl. No, right? so, so, but Dave, am I the girl then? Oh, that's not good, Dave. No, good. No. So... <laughs> All right, where can we find more information on you, Nikki, and stuff? Where can we go? Well, I just love you for asking that. Thank you. You can always follow me on all social platforms. I post about all my podcasts at Nikki Boyer. That's N-I-K-K-I-B-O-Y-E-R. And then if you want to listen to Dying for Sex, it's available wherever you listen to your podcast, six episodes. And then every day, if you subscribe to the Daily Smile on Wondery um, or wherever you get your podcasts, it shows up in your feed every day. You can start, have a cup of coffee, walk your dog, make breakfast breakfast for the kids, whatever you need to do, but just listen to a fun, engaging, heartfelt news story every day because I feel like that'll just get you on the good foot. So um, that's where you can find me. All right. Well, appreciate cool. appreciate you guys uh, stop, stopping by to chat with me today. And uh, my day's not over yet. And remember, in just about a half an hour, I go live. So I got to get ready for my television. Yeah, good luck. I can't debate. wait to see this. Oh, I, I, you, you'll give me your take. Oh, I, well, no. Congratulations. Big time. I know it's not the big time yet. Once I'm in Washington D.C., but uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you guys uh, checking me out, ch ch chatting. It was great talking about podcasts, radio shows. Everyone needs to check out Nikki. And this was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for having me. I so appreciate Thank you both. You. All right, take Thank care. You. All right. Bye. You, bye, bye. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment.